Thank you, Teresa and Miles. Um, today's actually Teresa's birthday, so you get to embarrass her and say happy birthday. Wow, I don't know who carried the birthday, but thank you. Um, as you came in this morning, um, on the in the very beginning, uh, or very beginning, at the door, we usually have announcements. Um, also on the announcements uh, handout that we had was a, a piece of paper or like a packet, um, just more about the persecuted church. So if you didn't get one on the way in, I'd like to invite you to pick one up on your way out. Also, last week, we had handouts for our missionaries. Um, I think there's, they should be available on the info desk. It's just about the missionaries that we've sent out as a church. If you didn't get to pick up one last week, I'd like to invite you to grab one of those, too. Um, those are helpful to keep on your fridge, you know, or maybe you and your family can pray for a missionary a week or something like that. So those are two handouts that we have, so hopefully you check them out on the way out. Um, good morning again. This is the time of year where we're especially thankful um especially on thursday but um, i am personally thankful that you're here it's good to have you in person and if you're listening online we grateful for you to being here as well uh we're kind of wrapping up our sermon series in the book of ephesians this morning um in ephesians we're focusing on what does it mean to be in christ we said when you look at the book of ephesians if you want to split it in half you know one to three and four to six in one to three you'll have paul basically making this argument that listen all we have is in Christ, right? Like our, our place that we have is in Christ. We were dead, but now we're alive. We were, you know, foreigners and now we're family. All that we have is in Christ, you know? Our, our position has changed. You may think you're just walking this earth, but because of what Jesus has done, you've actually been elevated to the heavens, right? Like you are spiritually now in the heavens with Jesus. And, and then also our purpose has changed. And, and this one's a little bit challenging for us because uh, a lot of the refrain we commonly hear is everything that church does wrong and everything is wrong with church and that's important for us to hold that but it's also kind of tricky because in our same scriptures you know it's pretty clear that that God's plan for the world is the church right so so part of us owning what we've done wrong is us recognizing that's us we are the ones doing the wrong so let's do better right but then the other part is recognizing that that's the entire strategy <laughs> you know the Holy Spirit and you right and it's been effective for thousands of years, right? And there's billions of people who believe. So it's a pretty good strategy. But, but part of us in, in, in kind of holding on to this idea is that God has chosen you to reveal his love, his mercy, his compassion to the world. And, and then to these people in, in Ephesians who were kind of obsessed with power, spiritual power. I think in one sense, we're kind of the polar opposite of them because we feel to, to be more obsessed with material power or a power that we can see. To them, they knew there was a spiritual realm. So, so Paul's going to say, if you want to see real power, look at what Jesus did on the cross. Look at what Jesus did to save you. Look at what Jesus did to, to grow you. If you want to see real power, Jesus is going to build this family that's going to get people who look different, people who have different values, different cultures. He's going to bring them together and call them one. That's going to be real power. So the first half is everything we have, place, power, position, purpose, that's all in Christ. And the second half is he's going to say this story of Jesus that you know, this gospel, that he came, he lived, he died, he sent you out, he was resurrected, he made heaven perfect for you, he's coming back again. That story should actually impact every aspect of your life. Like who you are should change because of that story. Your family, your neighborhood, your community, everything should change because of that story. Right, so as he's holding on to these two things, and, and, and then it's fascinating to me because like every good teacher, Paul recognizes that there's a lot of stuff I've said in the middle, but they might not remember any of it, which as a preacher gives me a lot of comfort, right? So I think it's beautiful what he does here, right? So he's like, 
we have a people who are obsessed with spiritual world and spiritual realm and spiritual power. And I've told them where the real power is. But before I leave here, I'm going to go back to what they know. And what I love about it is Paul in the same uh, epistle has identified himself as the mystery revealer, right? Like, I'm the one God's chosen to give you the mysteries of the world. But the other beautiful thing about Paul, I think, is that in this epistle and elsewhere in his writing, he reveals to us what it means to be a missional Christian. That is, what does it mean to be a Christian who's not just living for God, but living for God to bring other people in? See, there's a difference, right? There's a lot of us who think living for God is, is, is living for God. That's me, my business, what I do. But the whole idea here is that you ought to be living for God to tell other people about God. Sometimes you might use your words, but your entire life should be bringing other people in. And how does Paul do this? I think he does this kind of interestingly. He knows these are people who are all about the spiritual world, so he's going to end with the spiritual world. But one of the things I want you to, to, to especially pay attention as we read through this passage is that Paul does not ignore where the people are at, right? And I think that's important for us because when we talk about what does it mean to live for Christ and then to bring other people in, the whole idea is that we have to meet the people where they are. But I think the harder part for those of us who've been in church for a long time is that's not a one-time thing. You got to meet people where they are and you got to keep meeting them where they are, right? Because more than likely that first interaction ain't going to solve anything. Like most of us don't meet people and be like, you will be my friend for the rest of your life. You now follow Jesus forever, right? Like it's going to have to be an intentionality of you meeting them where they are. So Paul, in meeting them where they are about their understanding of our spirituality, doesn't ignore that's where they are. He acknowledges it. But here's another one that might be hard for some of us, right? He also doesn't insult them for where they are, right? And I think that's hard for some of us, right? Because we think living for God is telling you what you're not doing that's right. You know, and I think the irony is that, like, there's nothing in Scripture that says I need to wash myself clean before I can come to the Lord, right? There's nothing in Scripture that says I have to be perfect before I can come to the Lord. And there's nothing that says we as Christians ought to condemn before people can come to the Lord. There's so many of us who are good about telling people everything they're not, and we forget that it's about the Lord and not us. It's about his story, his gospel, and not us. So Paul doesn't ignore. He acknowledges where they are. He doesn't insult them. He doesn't even really argue with them. He simply says, I'm going to show you a better way. And that's how we can be missional Christian people in our lives, right? You don't have to ignore where they are. You can acknowledge it. But you also shouldn't be insulting them and insulting their culture, their beliefs, and all that stuff. You should be saying, perhaps once I build a relationship, I can show you a better way. And so Paul is going to work with these people who are spiritual. He's going to take their core teaching or ethos or value, which is that there's spirituality in everything. And he's going to take that and he's going to use it as the language to communicate with them. Now, here's something that's really beautiful. Everyone in this room loves love. We all love to be loved. but We all don't receive love the same way. Right? So there's some people in this room who their love language is, is what we call words of encouragement. But hey, I really like your hair today. And they just beam up, right? It's just like this is the most amazing thing ever, right? And there's some of you who, whose love language is, is, is service, works of service, right? Like it's just like, if, and that's me. If you come to my house and you decide you want to wash my car, I will love you, right? If you decide like, you know what, works of service, I'm going to make Hank a delicious steak, I will love you even more, right? Like, like we all receive love differently. But I want you to hold on to that same thing when it comes to communication. Because we may have the greatest story to tell, 
But if we can't tell the story in a language they can understand, what story are we even telling? So part of the reason of Paul starting with what they can understand is he wants to use this language they understand and enhance it. Right? So, and then what's beautiful about this passage for me is he's going to take something, they're all about the spiritual world, what's out there, what we can't see, but he's going to actually focus on something very physical, the armor of God, right? To not only enhance the spiritual, but to show you how God works and how God desires them to work. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I'll be reading verses 10 to 20. Um, We'll also have it up front so you can follow there as well. Starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Pull on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with its readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up your shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Let's pray together. Upon our God, we thank you so much that all power that we know comes from you, God, our Father, that all protection we know comes from you, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that all peace we know comes from you, Holy Spirit. So now as we talk about what it means to follow you, individually, as a body, as a community, what does it mean to engage not just with the physical world we see, but the spiritual world that we don't see? What does it mean to be faithful to what we've been called to do? God, we thank you that as we think through this armor of God, that we may be reminded that our only strength is in you, that all of our strength is in you, that all power we have comes from you. So, Father God, we pray now that you see us and you hold us. Lord Jesus, we pray now that you guide us and that you bless us. Holy Spirit, we pray now that you fill us and speak in us and through us. In your holy and precious name, amen. So one of the most fascinating things is that when Paul is doing this reminder about the spiritual world, he wants them to know that there's spiritual evil in the world. And I think that's fascinating because most of us who grew up here in the West don't think that way. We're very much a people about, I I see it, so I believe it, right? I see it, so I believe it. I'm not quite sure it, it really exists, right? But he's talking to a people who wouldn't have to doubt that it exists, Right? And I think this is important for us because he wants them to simply know there's a spiritual world, yes, but there's beings and forces that's working to undermine the body of Christ. And in that, we had this tension where we then, too, have to acknowledge there is a spiritual world and it's working against us. Right, That's the baseline. But we got to do some warnings here, right? Because we also have to, to fight the urge right, to not see the devil in everything. 
You stubbed your toe and spilled your coffee. I'm sorry, right? But that's not Satan, right? Satan might have a bigger fish to fry than stubbing your toe, right? Like, like you might just be clumsy, right? Like, it is possible that the devil wasn't in it. But I think the greater tension for those of us on this side, right, on the West, is we have this temptation, right, to ignore the spiritual world. In Africa, where I'm from, in West Africa, primarily Liberia, right, my country, right, we don't like rivers, right? We believe that rivers, right, and this is African folk religion, this is Islam, and especially Christianity, we believe that rivers are where tributaries dwell, right? Like there's, there's, there's evil around rivers, right? And when you hear that as an American, you're like, that's weird. Like, why are they so scared of rivers? And then you just do a Google search on the Susquehanna River, and you read some of the stories, and you're just like, well, maybe they're onto something here. Right? Like, maybe maybe people shouldn't just be driving into the Susquehanna River. That's a little weird, right? So, so, so I bring that up to say that, like, we operate from this idea that we got to figure it all out. And if we don't figure it all out, it must not be true. That's some of the baseline we have. As children of the Enlightenment, that's some of the baseline we hold. And Paul's going to actually fight through some of that. Because for Paul, there's spiritual beings out there that are actually working to compromise the new humanity. So the reason why I may not think that you stubbing your toe is Satan is because what Satan is actually doing is any growth that you're having in Christ, he wants to stun it. Anything that you want to do for Christ, he wants to take that away. And if you haven't chosen to follow Jesus yet, he doesn't want that. And if you've chosen to follow Jesus, he's actually going to work to what? Mute your voice. Right? Satan has a much bigger plan than your toe. Right? Like, that's what he's on. And it's fascinating to me because Satan and his followers, they already know they've lost. They already know how the story ends, yet they're more persistent. And if we kind of get a little introspective, they might be more persistent in the spiritual battle than we are. They know they're losing and they're still fighting. We know we're going to win and we're still asleep. So, so, this war that we're in, and that's what Paul assumes, right? That we're in spiritual warfare. Not just the, 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 the strong Christians, not just the, the missionaries. Every single Christian is in spiritual warfare. And here's the thing. It's good to acknowledge that because then you can know whose side you're on, what team you're on, and who you're, you're fighting for. Because here's the thing. If you don't know what team you're on, then you might just get caught in the middle. I don't know if you have an imagination. You ever think anything about warfare? As a pacifist preacher, this is the most we're ever going to talk about war, so we're just going to enjoy it this morning, right? But if you imagine anything about war, what's the absolute worst place to be but the middle? And, And so you not acknowledging that we're in this spiritual war is you putting yourself in the middle. So we're not just in this war, though. Paul wants us to know that we're in this war, but with weapons. But I think one of the things that I missed for years in, in talking about spiritual warfare and studying this is, is how I was taught this and how I always held on to it was this is how you do spiritual warfare, right? You put on the armor of God. But here's something that's interesting. Paul is writing to a people who understood military through Romans' gaze, right? And if you look at the Roman army, it was a little bit different. They weren't going out there fighting as individuals. In fact, what made Rome so strong is they believed in community. See if you've heard this before. They actually believed that one isn't as powerful as all of us, 
right? They actually believe that, listen, if we band together and then we get in there side by side, facing forward, right, put their shields in front of them, they believe that if you did your part, nothing can penetrate us. And so that's what Paul is coming from. He's coming from a place where, hey, your job isn't to win territory for God. I'm sorry if you read Prayer of Jabez and it blessed you, right? But, like, your job isn't to go win territory for God. It's real weird for you to win territory for God when he owns the whole world, right? Like, it's really weird for you to go and win souls for Jesus when they all belong to him already. It's just whether or not they choose to believe, right? Like, your job isn't to win territory for God. I think God can handle it. You know what your job is? It's to hold the line. It's to stand firm. Because if you don't hold the line in a Roman army, it doesn't matter if we have 100 people. If one person doesn't do their job, guess what happens? We get outflanked, we get overrun, we lose the battle. And this is why it's challenging to all of us. Because Christianity isn't just like, oh, everyone matters. That's beautiful. But lots of faith will tell you everyone matters. We're about saying everyone matters and everyone has a job to do. Because if you're not being faithful doing your job, we're all vulnerable. And how he frames spiritual warfare is this Roman battalion that's shoulder to shoulder, arm to arm, legionnaires marching forward, and everyone just has to hold the line. Because if we're already under attack, and if you're not being faithful to God and doing what God's called you to do, and we're under attack, you're literally leaving the church, your sister, your brother, the gospel vulnerable. That's the perspective he's saying. So when he says, put on the, arm, the full armor of God, reminder that most of the New Testament, when it says you, right, it really means y'all. And I think if you're in Pittsburgh, they say yins, but I still don't know what that word is. Like, I don't even know how you spell it. Like, it's just, it doesn't feel like English, but we're just going to go there because language transforms over time, right? But yeah, like, like when he says, put on the full armor of God, it's not Hank put on the armor of God. It's Hank and your sister and your brother. Let's put on the armor of God together. And I think that's important for us to hold on to that as we get into this. Because Paul's solution is not to ignore that we're in a war. It's to acknowledge it. It's not to, to insult everyone around us, but it's to say, what do we need to do to live missionally? And the solution is for all of us to be strong in God's power, to do our part, and to put on the armor of God. Now, where a lot of us fall sure is that we only look at the Roman example. And the Greek does something interesting here, right? Like it, it, it's, when they say put on the full armor of God, they mean that two ways. And that's interesting because in language, we don't often mean something two ways at the same time, right? So, for example, if I say it is running, right, I could be talking about my car or my computer. And the first service I realized my computer is running in my car, that's really tricky, because it is running, and they're both running, right? But here, I think put on the full armor of God in the Greek has both connotations of what? Put on the armor that God gives you. But because Paul is also pulling not just from Rome, but from Isaiah 59, where the God of the universe actually puts on armor, he's actually saying put on God's armor. So it's not just these gifts I've given you, it's what I've put on myself, you ought to put on. And that makes sense, because isn't Paul says this time and time again, follow me as I follow Christ? Imitate me as I imitate Christ? So this armor that we're putting on isn't just the gifts that God's given us, it's something that he himself puts on. And then I love this, because it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand up to the devil's evil schemes. The idea here is that the devil is not just persistent, but the devil is going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. 
But your job isn't just to do your part. Your job is to not back down. Because no matter how hot the fire, no matter how hard the battle, no matter how hard the struggle, you have already won. And that's something we ought to be holding on to. You've already won. Just hold on. You've already won. Just trust the Lord. And so the other beautiful thing here is he says, when the day of evil comes. And I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, we live life until the day of evil comes. We trust God until the day of evil comes. Intellectually, we know, right? Like, I can't only trust God in the good times. We know that. But then the bad times come. A medical diagnosis we didn't see coming. A person we deeply love and treasure who's no longer with us. A job that we built our whole life around taken from us. A relationship that we built our whole life around taken from us. Life is going to be hard. And I think we intellectually know that. But the challenge for Paul and the challenge for us is when that day of evil comes, when that hard time comes, are you still willing to put on the armor of God? Because it will come. It will come. Struggle in the life of the Christian is normal on this side of heaven. The hard times will come. So are we willing then to still put on that armor of God when that evil comes? And, and, and in this war that we're fighting, are we willing to not only stand, and this is a challenge to me, are we willing to do all we can? Because I firmly believe the devil and those who follow the devil, his minions, they're doing all they can. But can I honestly, if Jesus were to come back today, and I were to go stand before Jesus, can I, and I don't think I can, right? This is the work we all got to do. I don't know if I can stand before Jesus right now and says, in my life, with every breath, with everything you've given me, with every responsibility or calling you've placed in my life, I have given you all I can. And if that's what the enemy is doing, how dare we keep shortchanging our God? Have you done everything you can to live for God? And then he says, in this war, let me tell you how you can do all you can. And what's beautiful about this is that we sometimes tend to break down the different pieces of armor. You know, it's just like the helmet of salvation, the sword of truth, and, and all this stuff. Paul's point isn't that you got to get the armor right or that the armor just goes with this thing, right? It's kind of like the, 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 maybe the best way I can explain it is like, it's like the fruit of the spirit. Now, forgive me. This is what I did in church. So those of us who grew up in church and talk about the fruit of the spirit, we're like, you know what? This month I will work on joy. Forget the rest of them. This month, we're focused on joy. That's what we're doing. And we get to February, we're like, you know what? Gentleness is next, right? Like, but that's how we kind of think of the fruit of the Spirit. But when you read the whole passage, apparently Jesus is kind of serious that it's, it's, it's all at the same time, right? Like, you don't get to be like, you know what? I'm really good on joy this month, so I'm just going to kick that out and work on gentleness. Like, that's not how it's supposed to work. I want you to bring that same mindset into the armor of God. Like, you don't just need the helmet today and the sword tomorrow. You need all of them at the same time. And why do we need all of them at the same time? Because we are in a war. And leaving even one piece of your fighting equipment at home leaves you vulnerable. And if you're vulnerable, then we're vulnerable. And if we're vulnerable, then the gospel is vulnerable. You see how these things stack on top of each other. Hold the line. Do your part. And so I'm not going to focus on the pieces of garment. 
I'm going to try to pull on what I think this is truth that is being told, right? The first one is, let the truth of the gospel be your anchor. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, I believe. You know, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what are we doing? Right? Like, if you, from the very baseline, if Jesus isn't who he says he is, what are you even holding on to? Now, some of you might feel better. It's like, well, that's how I feel about my belt, right? Good. Go with that, right? But the essential teaching isn't you have to have the right belt. Of, you know, the essential teaching is like the one thing that holds us together is the truth of Jesus. And if Jesus isn't who he says he is, we're already lost the battle, right? So you have to start off with this truth that Jesus is our anchor. The truth of who he is is our anchor, and it talks about the breast, breastplate of righteousness. Uh, 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 maybe, I would argue, better definition is actually justice. And it's fascinating because not only would the Romans line up side by side, there was no retreat. Right? This is why I'm a pacifist. Right? Like, no retreat, no surrender for the Romans. Like, you in, you're in. You get in there, you're marching forward, you're holding the line. Right? Me, I'm just like, we're fighting, I'll see y'all later. You know? Like, that's how I roll. But it's like there was no retreat. And so they didn't need to defend for the back because they weren't going to run, right? They just stood with that breastplate and trusted that breastplate. You know why I like justice better than righteousness? Because we need to hold on to the idea that it's not just that God made us right. It's that God has made the world right through Jesus. And that's really hard for us to hold on to because the world seems broken. But Jesus seems to think he's the redeemer. The world seems dark. But Jesus seems to think that he's the light. Right? So the breastplate of righteousness is facing the enemy, saying Jesus has won, shalom can be had, and I'm going to live to show it. And he moves on and he talks about this gospel of peace. And if you go earlier on Ephesians, what does he talk about peace? It's not a personal peace. It's not a personal surrender. I think a lot of times we look at this peace, we're like, well, I'm so grateful I followed Jesus. I found peace in the Lord. That's beautiful. But according to Ephesians, this world might think you're different. And that's reason enough to not be family. This world might think you're from different places. You have different races. You have different values, socioeconomic status. This world seems to think all those things are, are, are different enough that you can't come together. But the peace that Jesus brings isn't just for your personal salvation. It's that Jew and Gentile can become family. In the context of our culture, is that black, white, Asian, Latino can be one family in Christ. That's the peace that he brings. So when we go and we tell the gospel of peace, it's a peace that doesn't just save individual souls. It's a peace that welcomes them into the family. And I think my favorite new thing I learned this week, it talks about let your faith be your protection. And if we remember, it's y'all's faith. It actually hits a little bit deeper for me. Because here's the thing. Not this morning, because you all look effervescent. But it just might be some Sundays where you feel like you have to drag yourself in here. Where you're fighting this, 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 this battle between faith and doubt, and doubt is winning by far. Right? There, there's going to be some days, maybe not even Sundays, where you wake up and you're like, God, are you actually there? But remember, Paul doesn't want us to be dependent on ourselves and our faith. Why? Because we're in this together. Because in those days where you're weak, your sister just might be strong. In those days where you have doubt, your sister just might have faith to be praying for you. In those days where you don't feel God, that hug and that embrace from the person who loves you might just be God's touch. 
So when he says your faith saves you, it's not just your faith in Jesus, it's the faith of the community. Paul seems to believe that if we're all doing this road together, that our faith can inspire one another, that our faith can usher each other on. And in a culture that's so individualistic, he pulls us back to say, it's not just about what you believe, it's about what we believe. It's not just about how you feel, it's about knowing you belong here too. It's the faith of everyone that sustains us. It's the salvation that saves us. And then we get to my favorite part, the sword of the spirit. Now, again, I just remember in Sunday school, the sword was always big. I know it's because everything else was like a defense weapon. You know, so it's like we have to have the sword, right? But the, the word that is used for sword is actually more of a personal dagger, Right? So there's a lot of people who waste too much time and, and give me a lot of reading this week because it's like, this is offensive and defensive. I was like, I don't have no idea what that has to do with anything. You figure it out, you come back to me, right? But what was fascinating is the Romans would stick together. But sometimes there would be a breach. And if there was a breach, they would have to have hand to hand combat. So that's why he's not talking about a big sword that you can swing because you don't want to be fighting and hurting your own people around you, right? It was a personal sword. And I thought about that. Because there's a debate whether or not, like when Paul's writing this, the whole Bible hasn't been written, right? So there's no way he's possibly saying all of the scripture is going to help you. So I thought about what does it mean that it's a personal dagger that you have for hand-to-hand combat? Then I was reminded by C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, who introduced me to this idea that not only does Satan have a bunch of minions, right? And again, I always say this, like, I don't know where we get guardian angel from. I'm still looking for that in the scripture. When you figure that out, where we all get an individualized guardian angel, you tell me and show me where it is. But Lewis seems to believe that you might not have a guardian angel, but you definitely got a guardian demon, right? And I thought about that for a second. I realized that in this spiritual war that we're in, some of us have thorns in the flesh. Some of us have tailor-made things that Satan knows are our weaknesses, and they become our greatest temptations. That, that in this personal hand-to-hand combat, we're going to have an enemy who knows us better than we know ourselves, and that's where they're going to attack us. If you've never, ever struggled with whether or not Jesus is Lord, Satan's not going to tempt you by saying Jesus isn't Lord. But if you struggle with whether or not you can trust God for the future, that's where he's going to personally meet you. And that's why you need this personal dagger, because in that hand-to-hand combat, you need to be reminded of what God has done for you. So it's not all of the scriptures. It's more, more I would say more accurately, it's, it's more like, what are the scriptures that God spoke into your heart? <laughs> what are the promises that God has, has given you to carry you through? Because in that moment of doubt, uh, of God, I don't know if I can trust you for the future, you might go back to the prayer journal and be like, well, that's kind of weird, because for 45 years, he's been pretty good. You know, like it's, it's a personalized thing of God's giving you scriptures and promises that's going to be just for you to carry you through. And we've seen this all the time, right? Like people are like, today I'm just, I, I, I always talk about mission trips because they're, they're hilarious to me. You know, you have parents who do the hard work of praying or feeding them, bringing them to church, modeling Jesus, all this stuff. The kid comes back after two weeks and it's just like, mom, I just know Jesus loves me. And the parent wants to celebrate and they're just like, wow. <laughs> Awesome, 16 years. I'm glad you did two weeks in Haiti, and now you love Jesus, and Jesus loves you, you know? Like, great, son. I'm happy for you, right? But the thing is, in this battle that we're fighting, whatever you need to hold on to God a little bit stronger 
God's already given it to you. The scriptures are already on your heart. The promises have already been fulfilled. God's presence has already been in your life. If you're following Jesus five minutes or 50 years, there are times you can sit back and say, this is how God was working in and through me. Hold on to those. That's your personal dagger in this fight. But I'd be remiss to not talk about the fact that we wrestle not against each other, not against flesh and blood, but against systems, authorities, and spiritual forces. And it's hard for us not to feel so small when the evil seems so big, the dark feels so overwhelming, the brokenness seems so heartbreakingly impossible to fix. Breathe. It's not your job to fix the world. That's God's job. It's not your job to, to light all of the darkness up. That's God's job together with you. It's not your job to fix every single brokenness. Again, that's God's job. So what is your work? Remember, he's talking about the heavenlies here. He's talking about the spiritual realm here. And yes, these forces are working for your demise. But you know why they're working so hard? It's because when they killed Jesus, they thought it was over. When they crucified our Lord and Savior, they thought they had won. When the scripture says he went down in the depths of hell, that might be metaphorical, might be physical. We don't know. We'll ask Jesus when we get there. He'll tell us, right? But the thing is, when he went down to the depths of hell, he was raised on the third day. They know that Jesus is alive. They know that Jesus has a plan for your life. They know that God is redeeming this world that we live in. They just don't like it very much. So their job is to attack. And so whether or not you believe in the spiritual realm, I hope you do after this sermon. I hope you did before. But I want you to realize that when Satan attacks us, it is not usually through a stub toe with spilled coffee. It's in a way that prevents you from telling your story. It's in a way that prevents you from sharing about Jesus. It's in a way that prevents you from sharing about how God has redeemed and saved you. It's in a way that wastes your time. And we're really good about this one, right? For the next month, there's the World Cup. I guarantee you I will spend way too much time on the World Cup in the next month, right? Like, I got games DVR, and I wait till everyone goes to bed at 10 o'clock. I'm going to be watching them probably till like 6 in the morning, and if I time it right, I can get the next game live, right? Like, that's how Satan attacks us, right? And it's not just in wasted time like that. It's in wasted time because, again, if you can stand before God today and say you haven't done everything you can for his glory, you're wasting time. Another place he's going to attack you is through distorted teaching, right? Like, I don't know if, if, if any of you in here bake, right? I like baking. I'm not good at it, but I like baking. You know why I like baking? There's things called recipes, right? You just put this, 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 and bam, it comes out, right? Like, like I, I go to some people's house, and I get, like, overwhelmed when they're cooking. Like, it's just like, this shouldn't be stressful. It's just like, ding, 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 ding. Like, it's just, it's stressful. I like baking because it's controlled, Right? But the thing about this sort of teaching is like baking. All you need is to get a little bit of the formula wrong, and the whole thing is garbage. And that's how Satan is going to attack us. He's not going to start with something blatant like Jesus isn't God, you know? He might start off with something a little small like, is Jesus really here for you, right? Like, it's going to be things like that. And obviously, it's going to be temptations, right? The classic ones are money, power, sex. But I think the one I've seen in my life from Christians, even more than money, power, sex, this is shocking. Maybe it's because I've been at age break too long. Most of the Christians I know are really good Christians. So it's not money, power, and sex that takes us down. It's our unwillingness to forgive one another. 
That's the one. That's the one that holds us back. And here's the thing that's scary about that. Because Jesus who forgives you says, if you don't forgive others, I may not forgive you. And depending on your rendering of the, the Greek, it might be, I will not forgive you. And so those are things that Satan is going to use to tempt you. Because if you're holding on to your pain, it doesn't mean your pain's not valid. It doesn't mean your pain's not real. But if you just keep drinking that poison and wondering why you're sick, it's because you're not forgiving. And relationships are dying. So with all this said, what can we actually do? If this sword is just to hold on to for this personal attack, what can we actually do? Well, we can pray. And that's why this section that some people cut off, 18 to 20, when it talks about prayer, is so important. Because actually it's the, it's the participle, which means it's acting off the action verb, which means that, like, just keep it together, right? It means that we're going to do all this, all this, 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 but you know how you're going to do it? Pray. That's, that's, that's my rendering of the Greek, right? All this is important, but prayer, right? Pray always. Pray on all occasions. Pray all kinds of prayer. Give every request. Pray alert. Paul talked about walking circumspectly. To me, that means listening. That means leading with the things that actually break your heart. That means not just going with my grocery list, but the actual list of my sisters and brothers. Pray for the body. There's one thing in the pandemic I really, really have been trying to lean into. When I say pray for the body, it's not just HBIC. I trust that you all pray for HBIC. But do we consistently pray for Christians around the world? We're going to end with doing something to, to address that. But do we consistently pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who may not have the privileges that we have, the, the ways to worship Jesus that we have? Pray that God reveals his truth in you and pray that you live it with boldness and fearlessness. If I'm going to stand or if I'm going to sum all of this up, what does strength in Christ look like? It looks like standing firm together. What is putting on the armor of God looks like? It looks like me putting it on next to you putting it on, next to her putting it on, next to her putting it on, next to all of us putting it on and standing firm together. And the beauty of this armor that he's talking about is not just the Roman armor, but you get to put on the armor, not even on your physical body, but in the body of Christ. And that gives me joy because it reminds me that not only are my sisters and brothers with me, but I'm not even the one really fighting because I'm actually in Jesus' body. And the armor and the things that I'm using to fight don't even belong to me. They belong to God. Because for Paul, and I think that's the trick to this whole section, for Paul, even though he's talking about the spiritual, what he's giving here is actually practical advice to fighting spiritual warfare. It's things like prayer matters. Praying consistently matters. Just like baking, for me, you got to lay everything out. You got to plan to do it. Do the same thing when it comes to prayer. Don't just pray when you wake up, when you fall asleep, when you eat. Right? Like, actually write things down before you go into the prayer room. Right? Plan to pray. But it's also important for you to realize that what are the scriptures that God's placed on your heart? What are the promises that God's given you? Because that's not just for you to have some intellectual knowledge. Because the day of evil, the hard day will come, and you're going to need that scripture. But then the last one is who is this community that God's placed in your life, right? And I think when we think about community, sometimes our question is, what is HBIC doing for community? And that's great. Keep asking us that question. In fact, don't just ask the question. Give us answers. Give us more answers to that question. But the challenge is that's not HBIC's duty. That's your duty too. 
What are you doing to build community? I believe in 2022, we might be the most lonely and depressed we've ever been in this country. People are more isolated and alone than ever. What are you doing to alleviate some of that? And it's not just about the loneliness you feel, but what are you doing to actually bring light into someone else's life? What are you doing to share that story of Jesus? What are you doing to hold on to that spirit power? My sisters and brothers, I want to invite you to put on this armor of God together. And as we put on this armor of God, may we be a people who's committed to pray, not just for ourselves, but for the body. May we be a people who are committed to not just scripture, but actually living out the promises of scripture. And may we be a people who don't just love community, but who actually make community with one another. I'd like to invite up Pastor Hannah and the worship team. We're going to end singing a song that may not be as familiar to some of us. It's called Firm Foundation. As we sing this song, I want to invite any of the pastors in the room. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, maybe it's something you want to respond to in the service. Or maybe you feel the spiritual warfare. You feel the battle that you're in. And you just need some prayer because that is the weapon we do have, right? You need some prayer. We'd love to pray for you for that. But as we stand and as we sing together, may we use this as a chance to rededicate ourselves not only to God, but to one another. Because we don't just need God, we need each other to push through. Amen? Let's stand and sing together. is my friend.